Person of Interest Podcast, episode number 10, Order and Chaos. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Greetings and salutations, earthlings. And non. Welcome back to Person of Interest Podcast. Not only is my name Daryl, not only am I drinking the nastiest cup of coffee that I have ever made, <laughs> I am not ready to bow down to the robot overlords. No, no. And I'm Doug. Well, I am. I am Doug. And I'm talking with my stockbroker on the other line. <laughs> Just in case. Uh, you Uh-oh. and Barb both. There's a little, there's a little teaser for you. You oh, and Barb oh, both. Oh, a little feedback there. Yeah. We are, we're glad to have you and, and your stock portfolio along with us as we cover Person of Interest for Season 4, Episode 10, which originally aired December 16th, 2014, entitled The Cold War. Mm. Now, for those of you who uh, are a little too young to have remembered the Cold War, only read about it in history books, that's when the West, uh, with the United States and England and all them, and the Soviet Union weren't really, you know, in a fighting war, in a hot war, so to speak, but they would bring in, they would they would fight in other places. North and South Vietnam was one of them. The Cuba Missile Crisis was one of those things where, you know, the Soviet Union is doing something through a, a proxy anyway. So there wasn't really a hot war. There was just little side wars all over the place, not directly between the two superpowers. In this case, it's a perfect... Uh, title for this episode because this really was a cold war the two machines weren't actually going at it directly though i have a feeling they might later but they were using proxies you know samaritan would increase criminality and the machine would try to stop it and that sort of thing so it's kind of a little all their fingers out in different areas there and uh, of course at the beginning the uh, samaritan was just uh, making everything you know unicorns and rainbows so uh, (laughs) yeah it can go either way you know and and person of interest being just incredibly, incredibly relevant, um, pun intended, uh, in, in just the craziest of ways. You know, thank you. The, the Cold War was started, uh, as you mentioned, uh, with these, these tensions between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, you know, back in the 1960s, carried on through the 80s. And it was during that time in the 1960s, now Doug, you're going to correct me, please, if I, if I misspout something here, <laughs> that tensions between the U.S. and Cuba got pretty tense with some, some different things, Bay of Pigs and whatnot. And, and because of that, well, there's still a trade embargo and a lot of things going on until this week. Things changed after all that time, 50, 60 years later, uh, I guess probably about 50 years later. Yeah, something like and, that. I think uh, it started in the in the late fifties. That's true. Oh, so maybe sixty. Yeah. So yeah, and so here we have a, a person of interest episode called the Cold War, and all of a sudden the U.S. and Cuba start talking again. Hey, who knew that Jonathan Nolan had that much power? 
He's got a lot of power, either that or he's got a, you know, some sort of mole. If we're talking about person of interest this week, a mole in the uh, United States uh, White House somewhere and saying, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's Obama going to do this week? Maybe we can work it into the next episode. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. He's got a speechwriter. That's it. One of the POI writers <laughs> is also a speechwriter for Obama, maybe. Who knows? It's <laughs> crazy stuff, that's for sure. Well, this is a Golden Spiral Media production. We're so glad that you have joined us for this episode. A weird episode of Person of Interest. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, Doug, that we were going to have this episode right before Thanksgiving. It was going to take a couple of weeks off. We were going to get one episode in the middle of December. Now it's going to take a couple of more weeks off. And sure enough, we posted on the Facebook group this week. I, I should have put a reminder before the episode aired. I put it after the episode aired and, and several people came back and said, Oh, I missed an episode tonight. You know, this weird, oddly placed episode in the middle of December. I'm not a big fan of it, particularly when you take, think about the cold war being the first of a three part story arc, a, a trilogy, if you will. We got this last year that at the end of which Jocelyn Carter met her demise. So I don't know. How do you feel about that? Where, where they kicked off a trilogy with this oddball episode placed randomly in the middle of December. I would say if you want to catch people at the beginning of a trilogy, you want them, you know, sucked into it now, you know, you're, you're invested in the story, even if you haven't been watching Person of Interest on a regular basis, you've got a trilogy here. The first one wouldn't be after a couple of weeks of break, you know, in the middle of the, uh, the Christmas season, the holiday season, you'd lose it. And we'll see in a second here that the ratings weren't all that fantastic. So you would want them to be really invested in this. And so you'd at least want to make the first episode. I don't know. I would have made the first episode the week after Thanksgiving, no break. And then, okay, if you want to wait till January for the next one, that's fine. But this, yeah, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. And what I'm afraid will happen. And I hope not, you know, the the audience has been declining. I think that there's a variety of reasons uh, for that. But I think this could be the cause of even more ratings decline because people are going to tune in the next time and go, what did I miss? I, I don't understand yeah. what's going going on. I'm, I'm, I thought I'm, I saw the last episode. Yeah. This has nothing to do with it. Now I'm behind. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to, you know. But if you are in that boat and you did miss this episode, I mean, hopefully you've seen it if you're listening to our podcast or maybe you're using the podcast to get caught up because you did miss it. But it is available on the CBS website. That's how I rewatched it today. And we've got a link to it in the uh, Person of Interest podcast Facebook group. So yeah, pop definitely. on over there. So and you can go get places you can pop on over to. Mm-hmm. You can pop on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash POI for all of our all of our previous episodes and uh, places to comment, including on this episode. And you can buy the Person of Interest DVDs or actually anything else on Amazon. And maybe you'll have to get a one or two day shipment because it's really close to Christmas now. What? But a portion of anything you buy is going to come and support the podcast. So that's fantastic. At least I think so. I do too. I do that's too. Good. It helps support not only the pet population. I, sorry, wrong show. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess maybe it is the same thing. It helps, it helps support all of the great content creators here at Golden Spiral Media. We've got a lot of them. A lot of them. We do. Oh, and you want to, if you want to see what they all are, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. I'm sorry, iTunes. <laughs> and you can see all the wonderful podcasts that we are putting out. And uh, 
There's quite a few, right? So, like, what is it? A dozen, fifteen, something like that? Uh, if we're all on the air at the same time, it's somewhere around fifteen, I think. Um, Alrighty. But like, Grace Point just wrapped. I I published the last episode of it today. We did a bonus episode comparing Grace Point and Broad Church. So I don't know the exact number right now. Somewhere between twelve and fifteen. It's it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And also on the uh, POI page, there's a link to our Patreon site where you can support. The, the Golden Spiral Media Podcast in general, and you can get some nifty bonuses depending on your level. So pop on over to there as well. Indeed. Well, uh, as you mentioned, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 10, uh, called The Cold War, written by Amanda Siegel. If you want to follow her on Twitter, it is A.B. Siegel. That's S-E-G-E-L. She's one of the co-executive producers as well. And it was directed by Michael Offer. And this is his first time directing a Person of Interest episode, I believe. Yeah, the POI Writers Office uh, on Twitter, POI Writers Room, uh, said, yeah, his first episode, and they thought he did a great job with it. Uh, next week, they're, it's a whole different uh, group. It's a different writer and director combination. Interesting uh, that they did that for the trilogy. Yeah, you know, I wondered how it would be, and, and maybe we'll see the next two by the same writing and directing crew. It's not uncommon when you have multiple episodes to have the same writers and directors, but three in a row is a little bit hard. I think, uh, from a directing point uh, standpoint anyway. So I guess we'll find out. I have no idea. I haven't looked ahead to see who's writing and directing those. Have you? Uh, I, I've seen the next week's, and I've got that in the quote-unquote spoiler section at the end, but I don't mm. know who's doing the third. That hasn't been out yet. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, we have some ratings news. Did you know that? We have ratings? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Yes. Well, that's the thing. And and like like we said, clearly we had some people in our own community here miss it, miss the episode because they didn't realize in the middle of December there was going to be one just out of the blue. Well, there was. So, person of interest this time earned a series low one point three. It's the it's the lowest it's been before. This is not lower than that, uh, but it's down four tenths from the last time we had a an episode that was new. It was one point seven, and on one point three, not so good. Eight point eighty two million viewers, and that's uh, that's still that's again low uh, for the season, but. You got to consider the rest of the field. We were, in terms of number of viewers, we were fourth place for the night. And if you think of just the demo ratings, uh, the 1.3, we were sixth for the night. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty big field for the whole evening, you know, uh, 8 to 10, or 8 to 11. So I think we did, we're, we're still in the same general place in those numbers as we have been in the past. So if there was a drop for us, it's likely because there was a drop for everyone else as well. Well, and that could be the case. And, and you know, the 8 million viewers for live, almost 9. I mean, that's still, in today's day and age, that's still a pretty good number. I did see an article today where it talked about, I think HBO has joined the ranks of, of a group of um, networks, I suppose, who are pushing to do away with this live plus seven-day format of, of establishing ratings and, 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 you know, therefore revenue because, you know, today's viewers are so different than they were five years ago, even let alone, you know, 50 years ago when this rating system was established or however long it has been. So we'll see how it goes. Something's got to give one way or the other, because it's not to say that only nine people or 8.8 million people are watching the show. They're just watching it in different ways in different times. Those are the people who watched it live on CBS as it was being broadcast. And that's not a full representation of who's watching. Yeah. I got to get those download numbers, uh, somehow in there. Yeah. That'd be good. 
And 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 CBS's thing with uh, and I forget the name of it, where you can watch, you can you can I think for like six bu- six bucks a month, you can right. get all the CBS shows. I think that has uh, it's their attempt to at least figure out what those numbers might be. Right, exactly. And you would think that 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 core demographic that gets you the money is probably also the same people or or larger percentage of those people are the ones who are not watching it live. So it's it's hit, hitting you twice, I guess, in that regard. You know, when I watched it online today, there were a ton of ads. I had to sit through a ton of ads. <laughs> <laughs> probably no more than I would have had I watched or when I did watch it live. I, I actually did, but I don't know. It was a lot of ads. It was more than like Hulu would have. And all up front, yeah. All right. Well, shall we talk about some old news before we get into some new news in regards to feedback? Yeah. In the uh, desert between episodes, Doc H wrote to us and he said a few comments in the interim period between new episodes after re-listening to the latest podcast and following the recent rerun 4C on December 2nd. This was when Mm -hmm. uh, Reese was, you know, kind of getting out of the, was trying to get out of the whole saving people thing is it wasn't uh because because of uh, this is right after i believe the trilogy where carter died mm-hmm. so he said your observation about the b story with root having a bit of a girl crush on shaw i think that may have its origin in the backstory scenes in the episode where reese and carter went to rural texas to investigate a case of the week the librarian's narrative about the young lady that went missing detailed the happenings in the library in the late evening we discovered a young root as a highly computer-savvy lass that appeared to idolize the slightly older Missy that vanished. Speaking psychiatrically, and he says, no, I'm not that kind of doc, Shaw may represent the mature version of her young, idolized friend. Shaw is an active, involved, and highly driven role model that fills the void that was created when Root lost her friend from her youth. Doc, that's a great observation. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, you have to go back and take a look at... uh, those uh backstory scenes from uh, from roots uh younger days to to see to pick that out yeah he continues your observation about shaw having a thing for reese not romantic but loyalty between committed high-risk operatives struck a nerve after watching the 4c rerun shaw has done this several times obsessed about the fact that her former partner died while she managed to escape assassination attempts by their former employer mm. this is northern lights yes I believe her unwavering loyalty to Reese, willing to sacrifice her own life to save his, is grounded in the emotional oasis she feels following the loss of her previous colleagues. She lives an unemotional life, not an emotionless life, Mm. meaning she has emotion, but it's simply repressed. And Doc, when you said that, I'm thinking Spock from Star Trek. (laughs) Vulcans have emotions, they are just repressed. And so there you are, we have a, a Vulcan on the set. Reese is raking to the surface like a Zen garden the few emotions that Shaw Shaw chooses to experience. Root, on the other hand, has not yet pierced that veil with Shaw. Flip that around, and Shaw has definitely been the catalyst that has allowed Root to be less of an automaton. Interesting. Uh, That's an interesting uh, way to put that. Mm -hmm. Cheers from the Swedish Dance and Circus Academy. (laughs) Doc H. And he has a little note after that. He said... uh, Note for Doug, excellent taste on the electric light orchestra preferences. <laughs> Thank you very much, Doc. I'm with you there. And he also says uh, he didn't mention the December 9th time period that POI usually occupies because it's uh, the Victoria's Secret lingerie special. <laughs> and he's, it's not a GSM podcastable event yet. 
no. I, I, I'm, no. I'm thinking that's it's a one-time thing. I don't think we'd cover it. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we have that on the radar for our uh, coverage, but perhaps some of our audience would appreciate it if we did. I don't know. That's very insightful. I don't know about that last part, <laughs> but the rest of it was excellent. Thank you, Doc. All right. Well, what did you think of this episode, Daryl? I liked it. Honestly, I probably would have rated it higher, but I want to leave room for the the next two episodes in the trilogy. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't have <laughs> considered that, but I had to because I know that these are three episodes in a whole. So I gave it 8.5, which is a still really good rating. 8.5 pastrami sandwiches. And I gave it a little higher than that. I gave it nine creepy child avatars. I thought that, yeah, this is, I mean, it was a great lead in and I'm thinking I may, I still have a little room there. I haven't tried to do the 0.5s, but I might just have to next week. Yeah. The 0.5s are a little bit of a cop out. I'll admit to that, you know, stick with the full (laughs) number, but when I'm not sure, you know, I'll typically go to the 0.5. That way I haven't had to pick one or the other. It's a little bit, like I said, a little bit of a cop out, but that's all right. If we're going to have 0.5s, you might as well have a rating of 0 to 20, you know. (laughs) Whatever. Nah, hogwash. Hogwarts? (laughs) No, I'm not into vampires and werewolves. (laughs) Okay, well, when I started writing notes for this episode, I was thinking, okay, here's our person of interest. We had Rachel Farrow, wife of a hedge fund manager. I thought that was kind of the thing we were going to be following. And, And they really do kind of open it up that way as if this is going to be the this is our person this week but it 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 starts there and it just diverges very quickly and we realize that no this is just a an insane this is the this is kind of a a chaotic version of poi where uh we have a whole bunch of pois in this mm-hmm. one uh, just the one yeah. at the beginning before samaritan makes everything all you know unicorns and rainbows and then all of a sudden uh, the the dam bursts yeah Really, really interesting, too, just just to watch it all go down, to try to figure out what's going on. How is Samaritan tying into this? What is their agenda? What is their end game? Maybe that's the same thing, but but yeah, it was really, really interesting. I don't want to talk too much yet, because there, this ties into a, uh, a monologue of sorts that Finch gave to uh, Shaw and Root. Was Root also there? Was it just Shaw? But man, it was really good. I don't know. I, we could talk about it now if you want to, or we can just wait till we get to that. No, let's wait we get there. Yeah. Let's wait we get there. I okay. like the Finch buying the sandwich scene. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was hilarious. I mean, the way he was interacting with the lady, she was getting mad at him. He's not enjoying himself either. Don't put mayonnaise on it. We'll have to start this over again. Neither one of us will want that. <laughs> well, and I was thinking, is this some sort of a code or, you know, you know, what's going on? If he orders the thing a certain way, he gets a piece of paper or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I thought just the way it was all this, the way it, it was so bizarre, you know, the, with the two types of mustard and lots of it and, and all the peppers and all that. I thought he's getting something for Bear. I think he's getting the, I think he's getting a little treat for Bear the dog. Not quite. Although, Not quite. Shaw did eat it like an animal. I'll, I'll give her that much. <laughs> <laughs> she just romped into that thing. How long had she been asleep? It, did he say days or something? I don't know if they said or not. But yeah, maybe that's it. This is the first thing she's had in a while, and she wants the peppers. Man, I got to tell you, though, pastrami on rye. I don't know what kind of bread it was. If it was wheat or if it was rye. With mustard, 
little uh, uh, a little sauerkraut, some peppers. Yeah, man, I could eat that every day if it wouldn't just give me like clog my arteries like crazy. <laughs> it was that looked. Awesome. It was a little bit too much mustard for me, but. I got to tell you, I was really and wanting the heartburn, that sandwich. The heartburn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it looks good. Well, bringing it to her, we get to see because we hadn't seen this before. We've just seen we've seen um, Finch outside the lair and inside the lair, but we've never seen him go into the lair. And this was really cool. Uh, you know, and I was, as he starts hitting the buttons, I'm thinking, okay, keep an eye on the numbers, keep an eye on the numbers. Thirty-one, forty-one. Don't know if that means anything. Maybe we'll figure out something about that later. And then. He goes through the vending machine. Who set that vending machine up in for the door there? And the, the man alive. I mean, it's there's the the Bat Cave. Bruce Wayne built the Bat Cave. Who built this? Yeah, that's 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 a, that's a question I was wondering about. Yeah, well, three one four one of the first four digits of pi. Oh, of course, of course, the circle. Hmm. 3.141. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yep, that's got to be what it was. Mm-hmm. I had to look it up. I knew 3.14 was. I, I didn't know what the fourth digit was. I had to look it up just now. So, 3.14159265353. Yeah. That's as far yeah. as I go. Thank My you. son did it. I don't know if you saw the video I posted last year. He had to do it for school. He won first place out of his entire school. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. I don't know how many digits it was. It was like... 30 digits or something like that. 25 digits. Impressive. Impressive. No, 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 it was more than that. It was like, it was closer to a hundred. He went crazy on it. Yes. (laughs) He learned them in groups of five and he had a way of of learning them in groups of five and then putting those groups into sequence. And so it was, it wasn't as if he was learning a hundred numbers. He was essentially learning 20 numbers because he, he memorized them in groups of five. It was the weirdest. It made sense, but I'm like, my brain does not work that way. (laughs) Yeah. And clearly, I don't even notice the first four. So there you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a little, I was a little. Uh, yeah, I didn't like the way they handled Shaw coming back from being drugged. I would have thought there would have been, she would have been more upset about it. There would have been a, a more, you know, price to be paid for for doing something like that because she really was really peeved at Root for you know giving her the slip and 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 well, not giving her a slip but sending her on a wild goose chase and then drugging her and I. I it seemed like they just hand waved it away, you know. Oh, well, there we go, you know. She's okay now, and 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 a little feigned, you know, upset. But that's it. There wasn't really much to that. So I was a little, I was a little underwhelmed with that. I guess I think that was the purpose of the sandwich was to uh, to appease <laughs> her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, alrighty. Um, and she had already escaped the handcuff, so I think she was a little bit self satisfied, maybe with that. Um, I'm, I'm just making Fair them enough, play yeah. that they like they had been able to capture her, but I don't know. That's a good point, though. I, she, I did think she would be more upset than she was, but I think the sandwich helped keep her mind <laughs> off of those other things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you throw a steak to a Doberman pincher. Oh, that's what he did. Be, be good. Be good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So Rachel Farrow, yeah, has been planning. And, you know, Samaritan has this all figured out, and we get Jeremy Lambert there to, you know, kind of let her know that we know what's going on, we know what you're doing. And uh, so we would like to deal with this situation for you. Right. Oh, man, alive. So so in in the, the it's kind of the, the mutant helping other people kind of, uh, you know, idea here where the machine was, 
helping pe- people by keeping them from being killed or keeping them from killing. And now in this case, we're, f- we're helping you because we're going to take your husband out for you. So there's no, it doesn't trace back to you. You know, we just, you know, mess with his heart mo- or his, his insulin pump. And mm-hmm. thank you very much. Yeah. The other different approach here was that Jeremy had all of the information where Reese is watching her going, I'm not sure what's going on. She looks a little fidgety. I think maybe she's having an affair with her husband. You know, he's guessing as to what's going on. Jeremy shows up and he's able to tell her all the issues that have led up to her having the gun in her purse. And you can't tell me that the machine doesn't have the same ability to access data and make conclusions, at least to that degree, that Samaritan does. Now, it's a completely different way that they have been programmed to deal with that information, you know, the where the machine wants the human interaction and the humans to be making the calls. So it's I guess it's limiting what it's telling them. Although that all that did seem like pretty relevant information. You know, the the spiral fracture and the the uh, whatever else injuries that she had had. Uh, the jaw and all that. But anyway, you know, it's just, it's just a completely different approach that they're taking in, in both in terms of the action that the machines are willing to take but also the information that it's sharing with the team members. Lambert sounded like the root of, Samar- of Samaritan, mm-hmm. whereas Root uh, previously, I don't know what her connection is now, where she had the uh, the machine directly in her ear, it would tell her what to do, but then just just enough to get her to the next step and then to the next step. But um, no, this one, this is, and this is also a an, uh, an expression of the difference in the hierarchy here. Essentially, uh, Samaritan is the top of the hierarchy and the humans are doing its bidding. Right. Whereas the other way around, it's kind of the other way around with the machine where Finch is really the admin. Mm-hmm. And while the machine gives him the numbers to, to save, it is up to him to decide how to do it. So we've got that, you know, that juxtaposition there. And so how does that express itself? Well, it tells you what to do. You just say the words, and you take care of the uh, take care of the problem, and that's it. Thank you very much. Yep, yep. It's pretty chilling when Jeremy leaves after his job is done, and he looks right up at the camera, and lets the machine know that they know that they're watching and they want to chat. And it was really, it kind of set the tone for the episode, and it was a really great kickstart to the episode. I thought. And right after that, Samaritan starts, you know, making, literally making the trains running on time yep. and moving traffic along. I mean, even that, those kinds of things, as well as, uh, stopping the crime before it happens. You know, they have some of the, some of the best days, the, the best one day they've ever had at the, uh, at the precinct. So yeah, here's what I can do. This is this is the benevolence of me. This is me making humans do whatever I want them to do, and it's all happy, you know. And so, if you don't you don't take that olive branch, well, then I'll come back with the uh, with the baseball bat. Yeah, yeah so that that's was a good way uh, of putting you know. It. And and I love Finch's idea here. Is you know, it's like okay, it looks good, and, and that's fine. But he comes back with, well, what if you wanted this thing to cure hunger? What would it do to cure hunger? What if it killed, you know, I don't know what his number was, but it's, you know, a whole huge number of people so that now there's plenty of food for everybody. Mm -hmm. Is that the kind of thing you want? 
You know, he doesn't, he's not entirely sure that a benevolent AI can actually exist if the machine, and we've heard him already say that in, in the past, he doesn't believe the machine is benevolent. He just thinks that, I guess, his machine is more considerate of human beings than Samaritan is. And that, that consideration is what is keeping it from doing something like killing a bunch of people so that world hunger is over. Uh, so that's, that's, so it's a, it's a, it's a creepy look at it. He's, you know, he's got his own, uh, he's not, he's not a big proponent of either of these, Samaritan or his machine, mm-hmm. really, when it comes mm-hmm. right down to it. I loved it too. And I think it was just as much for the audience as it was for Shaw, because I think it would have been really easy for all of us to look at what the machine, or excuse me, what Samaritan had just done. There was no kneecapping people. There was no putting the public in danger. There was no putting the POI at risk or causing her to commit a felony. They took care of it. This is a woman who had been battered, and I don't think there's a single person in their right mind who, who would be sympathetic towards someone who is battering uh, someone who is weaker than them, unjustifiably. And so it was easy for all of us to take the side of, uh, what was her name, Rachel? Yes. And so, again, there you have it. You have a very polarizing thing. You have a clear victim here. And this man, yeah, let's get him. You know, judge, jury, executioner, just like Finch said. And so it would be easy for for the audience, uh, just as Shaw said, well, gosh, that, that doesn't seem that bad of a deal, really. And then she makes the other point. You know, I my previous job, I didn't ask why. Mm-hmm. I was given a directive, and I followed through with it. Someone else made that decision. What's different here? And it was great for Finch to come back through and say, here's the difference, and it's an important one. And he made the case really, really well. It was very compelling and, and very important. And the, the whole um, the phrase, the tra- making the trains running on time, is kind of a, a callback to uh, things like Mussolini in Italy, where, hey, he made the trains run on time. But he was a fascist, you know, and the government uh, was not really that amenable to the people. Uh, but he made them feel good, you know. And so it's 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 essentially, I love the fact that they, they made a note of the fact that the trains are all on time. Because that really does, uh, for those who would remember that sort of thing, that kind of a callback to, uh, to that, that historical event. And so you've got, just because a few good things are happening... Or it seems like everything good is happening. You still have an issue with, yes, how does a, how does the machine, if you really give your life over to the robot overlords, as you put it, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that you're, you're completely ignoring in that equation. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic catch on your part with the Mussolini thing. And it reminds me of the, uh, it's a great segue. Um, the, one of the lines we got in flashback, which was if the Russians were half as good at feeding their people as they are at spying on them, then uh, what was it? The, the I can't remember how the, the, the quote finished out, yeah, but I can remember that. that's the point, right? The, the Russians were much better, much more interested in exploiting and, and, and taking advantage of their people than they were of taking care and providing for, for their, their people. Flashback to 1973. Greer is the subject of our, of our flashbacks in this episode. I was surprised by this. Loved it. I hope we get more. I think we need we now we need more in order to fully complete the the story of Greer. Uh, what were your thoughts on the flashbacks, though? No, I liked uh, overall. I think there was a great 
idea for to to show kind of where he's come from and why he believes what he does. Uh, he's going to say later in the episode that mankind requires oversight, not coddling, and that's the kind of thing that happened here. The I guess we see his cynicism coming to the fore here, and, and where it came from. And uh, I, I liked I liked getting some some backstory on him so that we could, you know, he's not just a guy who's power hungry. He's not some megalomaniac with a supercomputer. Uh, so so I really appreciate that, and I do. I think we are going to get some more. Um, I just don't. Uh, I just don't think that it's going to be just this uh, this episode. I hope not. Yeah, I, I I don't think so either. I still think there's a lot uh, uh, for us to learn to fully understand uh, Greer. Although what we got in this episode, I felt went a long way to understanding why he's doing what he's doing, particularly with the with the last uh, frames of this episode. But starts out here, it felt it felt a little bit like uh, Alias and some of the flashbacks. I guess that's the next flashback <laughs> that I'm thinking of. But so maybe I'll maybe I'll save my comment for then. Well, soon after this flashback, we start seeing Samaritan, you know, now, okay, if you don't like it uh, one way, then I'll show you how bad I can make it. Mm-hmm. And and the place just goes nuts, and uh, the city is shut down, and there's crime everywhere, and they can't, they are getting numbers left and right, because, you know, the machine is trying to essentially keep a bunch of plates in the air, and Samaritan just keeps throwing new plates into it, and the machine just can't keep up. Yeah, I mean, the machine can't keep up team machine can't keep up nobody could keep up i mean you'd have to have have a a military force to keep up with the amount of insanity that uh that the samaritan unleashed on the city i mean what was it all the people that were in protective uh custody or or um yeah uh, yeah in witness protection yeah witness protection yeah and all sorts of other things bad bad news and it really puts uh the machine in a spot finch is still scared uh that that you know, if if the conversation goes south, it puts them in even an, an even worse situation. Which I guess that's a valid point, but I'm glad the machine relented and said, "I'm sorry." Uh, the machines, you know, Root said the machines made its decision. It's going to talk because to me that seemed like the best decision to make. The really the only decision they could make at that point. I what think it was you? a great a great way to get uh, get these two, you know, gods, quote unquote, together. Uh, the, the writers coming up with this idea, I thought it was, a, it was fantastic to, you know, to make everything all happy and then to make everything, mm-hmm. you know, order, the order and then the chaos all handle all in the background run by Samaritan and Samaritan saying, mm-hmm. I can't find you. You've made some blind spots. They're, they're starting to see that, but here's what I can do. And if you don't, you know, do something about it, I'm going to start messing with these human beings that you seem to have a thing for. So. That was a, that was a great way to it showed the frustration of an AI that's like, come on, talk to me here. Mm-hmm. There were some good quotes. I mean, there were so many good quotes in this entire wow episode. You know, we talked about some of them. We didn't quote them, but when when Finch was giving his argument as to um, no machine being ambivalent and, and telling Shaw the difference between what she did for the government and what she does for the, what, you know, what, what the machine is doing now through Jeremy and that sort of thing. All that, all that stuff was masterfully written. Uh, you talked about the, the tie into Mussolini, which I had missed. I'm glad you caught that. So many great fit tidbits in this episode. And and you mentioned the, the coddling one already where Gur says mankind required oversight, not, not coddling. I thought there was another good quote right along the same time where, 
I think it was what's his what's his right hand woman's name? Um, Martine. Martine, thank you. I think it was she that said, "Why isn't the machine fighting back?" And he said, "It it is. It's just no match for Samaritan." What do you think? Is that true, or do you think maybe that this is all part of the machine's plan to to play possum a little bit to seem weaker than it is, or is it actually that weak? I can see it being, you know, crazy like a fox there and saying, you know, <laughs> trying to be, trying to, you know, not, not show its, its hand completely. But I have a feeling that it's hobbled, so to speak. Greer would call it that, hobbled by its sense of ethics that, that Finch has put into it and Samaritan is not. And when you don't care about, you know, anything else but you and yourself and your, your uh, your uh, goals and that sort of thing. There's no limit to the chaos you can you can bring. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go up and down the the beach and knock down every single sandcastle. And if you don't care, it you can be pretty darn destructive. If you do care, then running up and down the beach and having to dodge all these wonderful creations is a little diff- a little more difficult. So it's not a match for Samaritan, not because of its lack of computer power or, you know, that sort of thing. But I think it's because, and I think this is where maybe Finch's uh, thought about there can't be a benevolent AI might not be, in this case at least, uh, might not work. Because perhaps, I'm, I'm, I'd like to think that the machine has, is thinking of, thinking ethical, ethically, you know, that, that Finch actually did uh, give some of that, some of his own, ethical rules into the machine and therefore i don't think it's it's not that it's a match it that's it's not that it's not a match it's that it has concerns it has ethics it has a you know a code that it will not uh, step over and so in doing that samaritan can just run rampant and mm-hmm. uh, you know so i mean i think the machine could could do the same thing but it chooses not to for like i said for the reasons that it may have uh, already programmed into it yeah, I think that's very well said. And and Fringe Peaks, who's joining us here for the live show tonight, he said the same thing. He, it wasn't a, it wasn't overmatched in terms of processing power. It was just a different approach. That that and and this is kind of a a similar thread or or a similar um, struggle that that we see. You know, I, I do the Falling Skies podcast here for Golden Spiral Media with Emily and. That's one of the the battles that we see there, uh, and, and we see it everywhere. And and in those cases, what we saw last season on Falling Skies was that the alien overlords looked at the human emotion of love as a weakness, and because of our human emotion of love, and it are because it will cause us to pause or cause us to turn back and save someone, or it will, you know, whatever. The, the, it's a weakness. But in reality, our emotions, which, you know, love often is is very closely tied to emotion, um, also give us our strength. It, it causes us to, even beyond emotion, to overcome and to persevere beyond normal, what we would think would be normal limits. And so it could be here that we're starting to see a similar analogy at play where are ethics something that are holding you back or will ethics be the thing that turns out to make us stronger. And uh, perhaps that will be something that we'll see more uh, tie more into the storyline in, in a more clear way. But I, I think that could be something that we're, we're seeing stacked up here, particularly looking back at some of the things that we've seen in the past. It seems to be, be lining itself up that way. 
Well, I liked a little bit of this uh, during the chaos here. That I liked the uh, point where Fusco was talking to Reese, and um, he's just he's flabbergasted. You know, the day before unicorns and rainbows, and today it's just insane. And he says it's almost as somebody planned it. And he looks at Reese and says, "Did somebody plan it?" So mm-hmm. a little more, a little closer to the truth. We're not going to put a yellow box around his face yet from the machine's <laughs> point of view. But right. he's starting to, you know, put the pieces together. This is this is not this is not uh, a comedic uh, comic relief f- Fusco. This is detective Fusco trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's going on. Yeah, yeah, Fusco's got to be in on the action here pretty soon. He's just getting closer and closer. He deserves it, right? I mean, come on, we're season Yo, four. Yeah, yeah. Carter, <laughs> never got it. Carter never got that. She never actually did find mm-hmm. out what's going on. I think I think Fusco has uh, hung in there, and he uh, he deserves it. Yeah, he he has earned that right. Well, we get some more flashbacks with Greer. We see him now on assignment. His buddy, and he have the guy. What what was the guy's name they were going after? Oleg. Oleg, there it is, yeah. Oleg Lusky. They've got him surrounded or, or, you know, caught in the middle. He fires, kills uh, Greer's partner, and then Greer gets to jump on him. Doesn't kill him, wounds him, and through that, we find out some really interesting information. So Jacob is dead. He was Greer's friend. Greer's pretty sharp. He's like, look, Jacob and I, not trying to boast, but we're pretty awesome. (laughs) <laughs> and you got the jump on us. You recognized us. So that tells me that you got some inside information. What gives? It turns out Oleg not only works for the KGB, he's an MI6 double agent. Oh, and the guy that sent Greer on the mission, he's also a double agent. This is where it felt like alias. Everybody's a double agent. <laughs> is there anybody in MI6 actually working for England for crying out? Right. Which is fine. You know, that's one of the greatest, uh, most, you know, that was one of the first bad robot productions, you know, and, and certainly sent JJ off in the course that we can appreciate today. Not that JJ is, this is Jonah Nolan's show more than it is JJ's, but this is a bad robot show. But anyway, made me think of, of uh, Alias, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, that was a classic. That was an absolute classic. Yeah, I like I liked the idea that we've got you. This is one of those things where you have uh, a person who you know this one guy is a mole. We need to deal with that. And then as you start peeling the the uh, the bits of the onion off, you fi- start finding that oh, but I am too. Oh, but he is too. And you know each of those I thought was well done. I I thought that I was surprised at each at each. I, I think with Blackwood I. F- I kind of figured that out earlier, but I did not guess that uh, that Greer was. That was uh, that was good, and it was interesting for Greer ultimately when he's talking to Blackwood. I think I'm jumping ahead here as far as the as far as the flashbacks go. Jumping ahead from the flashbacks—that's a real time. I'm sorry, but he's talking about there come a time when there won't be borders, and you yeah. know, there's, we're not going to have loyalty to a specific nation. We'll be going to the highest bidder and stuff like that. And it's like. I don't know if he's, if that's that's the sort of thing that and spies don't like. That that's not good for the spy uh, biz because if there isn't a border, there's nobody to spy on, you know. But that's that's very interesting. I don't know if that's some sort of utopian uh, vision that he has, but uh, but I, I I don't I certainly don't think we're there now. Uh, it, this may maybe Samaritan is his expression of trying to get to that. 
you know well definitely make, i making mean making the humans do what they're supposed to do and then you don't need borders i mean really you you could boil it down or 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 have the perspective that spies are really their their objective more than anything is to keep the person the party that they are part of or or answer to in power and whichever party they feel is going to assure them the the greatest amount of power is who they're going to ultimately work for uh, and and sometimes ethics do come into this you know we've seen uh, people from the from the KGB turn and, and start working for MI6 because they believed ethically that the Russians were bad and vice versa right so there there is a there's a moral compass that people are, that is guiding people but i think you boil that down and you say that they in, in, in purely in terms of what we see represented in, t- in TV and film i'm not going to speak uh, for anyone who actually has been a spy, because I don't know. I've never met one. They wouldn't have to kill me if they did, if I knew. <laughs> um, but what, what I'm saying is, you know, what their objective is, is to keep their power in power. And so when you, when you think about Greer in, in that context, he doesn't care. He doesn't have any nationality that he, you know, hoists his flag to, other than he recognizes that one day, with the way technology is advancing, even back in the 60s here, or 70, I guess it was 1973, uh, he, he recognizes that there will come a day when technology will reign supreme, and that will be the ultimate power, and that's who he will stake his flag with, and that's who he has staked his flag with, now that we see him, him in 2014. But I loved it. I, I loved it to see that even he had the vision to realize that, you know, 40 years ago, or, yeah, 40 years ago, and, and start to work towards that path. So that's what's uh, that's what's pushing him. That's why he's more than willing to give his um, loyalty over to Samaria. That's what I think. Yeah, I think so. Well, about this point, we have this shot in the church, and I love the <laughs> I love the way they set this up. Oh, this I, was great. It was, uh, it was unfortunate that they used this scene in the previews when they were advertising it during the week, but to have you know Lambert sitting in front of Root who's sitting in front of Martine with guns to each other's heads, and all of a sudden, you know, then you got Reese up in the balcony there. I, <laughs> that was a great setup there. It's like, it was great. Now that we've all shown our aces. Although it reminded me of of, uh, of Highlander in a couple of regards. You know, Highlander, churches were, were sacred ground. They were neutral ground. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't hurt each other. But it, with them all drawing on each other, I thought there's only going to be one. In the end, there there's only going to be one alive <laughs> in the church here. <laughs> I don't know if that made sense to anybody but me and Doug. But glad you thought it was funny. <laughs> if you've watched The Highlander, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this is where they set up the meeting of the the minds, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And wow, what a meeting it was! You know, you get a little. It's a little weird at the beginning, and I think we will we'll hear this uh, some with um, the feedback. But when Root and this little boy start talking, you 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 begin to wonder who's who's speaking here. And after a while, it's very clear these this is the machine and Samaritan speaking mm-hmm. to each other. These are not the these two people, humans, you know, talking to each other. This is actually uh, the machines. And uh, the PD of interest Twitter account called him Samaritan. And man, <laughs> alive! That was I, even even after you understand. Well, this is just Samaritan talking to him. I don't care. This is creepy in the extreme. Wow. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of the uh, the child that they chose to portray the uh, Samaritan kid? Well, it's disarming at the beginning. I think that's what the what the point was. 
disarming for Root and also for the uh, the viewer. But uh, you know, to have this kid uh, in there, and it, it and Greer actually refers to him as kind of the shape of things to come. That's right. I wonder what he's talking about. You know, what kind of connection does the machine does the Samaritan have with the kid? I do not know. And uh, but that maybe that's maybe that's his point that whatever he has, we would put into everybody else, and you know, everybody would follow the Samaritan. But I just. Even knowing what the situation was, it was still very creepy and, uh, and it was he, a very arrogant sounding monologue there. The, the actor was, uh, his name is Oakes Fegley. Oh man, he delivered these lines beautifully. You know, you get some kids in some roles like that, especially a serious role like this, and it can come off sounding like it's being read from a script, but boy, he did a fantastic job with it. I was I was absolutely impressed, and like I said, the creep factor uh, was only heightened by the fact that he did that so well. Yeah, it was it was really good. Uh, the The writing again in this scene was spectacular, and you know he's kind of you can see he's coloring or don't know what he's doing, and I, I expected to see a childlike drawing when we finally got it revealed and it was anything, but it was incredible what he had drawn while he was talking to root. And we learned that he's got the ability to hack into the DOD and, and uh, some other uh, highly restricted, um, is it DARPA that he, he hacked into? Um, I could just, be, I don't remember now. Yeah. So anyway, just a really, really in- interesting character. I don't know that I want to see him all the time. I don't know why. Um, the novelty of it would wear off. I guess maybe that's it. I don't. I don't know. But I. I. It was really cool. It was a great scene. A, a fantastic scene. And and this is. I, there were so many good lines that I couldn't. You know, type them fast enough. Uh, I, the the one I got at the very end, of course, is the threat here. I will destroy you. So there's. You know, the the Samaritan machine is very confident of what it can do. He says, mm-hmm. the question is, will you let your human agents die with you? So this is, the outcome has, as far as I am concerned, already been, you know, figured out. And these are two machines that can figure out, you know, the the the, uh, the events that uh, that can unfold and figure out who's going to do what and uh, and follow. So, so now they're having to... They're ultimately, I guess, going to have to figure out what each other is going to do, and that's going to be the real, I think. You know, we had a Cold War here. The Hot War is going to be that. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow. That's 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 just not – neither of them, I don't know. I mean, they have been programmed, at least the machine has, been to figure out what human behavior is going to be to predict that. Can they predict another one of themselves? That's going to be a real mm. – wow, a stem winder, as, uh, as they say. <laughs> you know, I would like to propose that instead of this being a three-part series that began with the Cold War, that maybe this is a four-part series that began with The Devil You Know. With The Devil You Know, you, you remember that the that was the one where Elias was the POI, he and Dominic, he was being pursued by Dominic the entire episode. We talked about the uh, the the code that was put into the safe, uh, the vault rather, at the safe house was uh, the date of the George Foreman, the Rumble in the Jungle, jungle with Muhammad Ali. We talked about the artwork, the the photo rather that was on the the uh, the restaurant wall. There was uh, was also George Foreman beating a much younger opponent, and we talked about 
perhaps that would tie into this machine battle or parallel the 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 machine battle with with Samaritan when we now get the perspective of the, the what we have here after the cold war i think that's absolutely the case a very young actor was chosen or and a, a child was chosen to represent Samaritan whereas Root no, she's not old she's she's still young but in comparison to the child she's very much older mm-hmm. and the 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 Samaritan has been turned on um and if you, if you count their birthday the day they were switched on then the, the Samaritan is much younger than uh, the machine is and so I think that there are some parallels there uh, that's why they, they, they chose a child to represent Samaritan, because Samaritan itself is still a child, an overly confident child, a child filled with hubris. What did we hear about Dominic? Dominic's weakness is his hubris. Who's wiser? Well, I think we'd agree that Elias is wiser. <laughs> now, Elias lost his right-hand man. You know, he he suffered a casualty. He suffered several casualties. In fact, we got some great feedback in during the break uh, that showed uh, Elias on the boardwalk like back in season one after we, after we met him for the first time. And he walked that boardwalk with three or four guys at, his, at shoulder to shoulder. And as we saw Elias at the end of The Devil You Know, we saw him walking alone. That's how much he has suffered losses among his team. Again, thinking about the parallels here, um, will Elias prevail over Dominic? Yes, I think he will. Will he be able to do it alone? No, I don't think he will. Uh, has he suffered consequences and casualties? Yes, he has. So th- there could be some some parallels here in this in this regard as well, where you have Samaritan versus the machine. The, the Samaritan is younger. Will it prevail? I don't think so. I don't, I don't know how the machine will will overcome it. That's why I've been asking you questions throughout this. You know, do you think <laughs> the machine was playing? possum a little bit you know do you think you know all these things i've been i've been trying to get your opinion on that kind of leading up to this little this little thing i wanted to talk about um the child samaritan is full of hubris just like dominic was or is and i think that it will ultimately ultimately be his downfall it will it will cause him to have a blind spot that will be his ultimate ultimate undoing and the writers kind of set this up by when we had the we had a elias dominic one-on-one, and then now we've got the Machine and Samaritan one-on-one and trying to, you know, show the parallel there, trying to get the audience, uh, bring them up to speed. Here's, here's, here's a conflict going on. Here's two guys talking, making threats, and, uh, and, and there's a, like I said, an old versus new type thing. Now here's the same situation in our main story, in our main mythology, and what's going to happen here. Now, if that is the case, if how, the question is going to be how parallel is this going to be? Is Team Machine going to suffer the same or maybe somewhat less, but nonetheless uh, as devastating uh, losses as Elias has had to do over the past you know, few years, like you said, four down to nothing, essentially? Do we have that? Is that is that what's coming? Last time we had a trilogy, we lost a main character, mm-hmm. so it could happen. It could happen. Who who are your bets on? We've been talking all season. Barb's been predicting uh, that Shaw would be the one that would meet the wrong end of a bullet. What do you think? I would, uh, you know, I think it would be more shocking if Root were to be the the one there. Uh, I I have a 
That would be my, that would be my my guess. That would if I had to pick one, I would say root. Yeah, and, and GSM user uh, thirty two thirty seven in the chat room said the same thing. If it parallels and continues the Elias storyline, Elias lost Anthony, his right hand man. Well, who's the right hand man of the machine? Probably root. I mean, because she's the analog interface. She the, she's the one that communicates most directly. It's the, she's the, the one that the machine chose to speak mm-hmm. to Miss Samaritan, yeah. Yep. And I you know, I would I would hate that. I, I hate oh, that. I'm sorry, sir. Yeah, I, I but I just think that's gonna happen here. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. What what else do you have? I I, I have a comment on the on the very last scene uh, or or sh- like so the final frames of the episode, but what do you do you have anything before that? Other than the fact that Shaw is in the wind now and uh, Finch was not very happy about that. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, they've made it seem pretty, pretty clear over the last couple of episodes that she is at great risk. She is the one. It was so cool, right? To see Root walk into that room and the machine and Samaritan's going, does not compute, does not compute. You know, obviously it's quite a little bit different than that, but you get the idea. And even the Samaritan himself said, you are in front of me right now, but you're blocking your identity from me. Well, that's not the same with Shaw. Shaw has been exposed, and but this could be the same redirection they did with the last trilogy, right? They made us think that Fusco was going to bite it, and it ended up being Carter. So mm-hmm. I'm not ready to fall for the Shaw thing just yet. <laughs> <laughs> Which it could be like the Iocane powder thing, you know? You got me there once. I clearly can't do that. It's, <laughs> a, it's a cup farthest from me, but it's the one nearest me because you think i'm thinking the one farthest i don't know i think that would be inconceivable (laughs) you keep using that word i do not think it means what you think it means (laughs) there we are all right so so we've taken a person of interest and turned it into alias and a princess bride there we are hey our job here is done we've we've We can't outdo that. Uh, the final frames are the the Samaritan executing this virus the, to to establish itself worldwide. We had seen uh, allusions to this; it had been alluded to previously, where we had seen different things happening around the world. Even, gosh, you know what? Harold went around the world, didn't he? Ah, uh, true, 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 true. Mm, okay. Um, so it wasn't a surprise to see this thing executed, but the stock market begins to fall. And as Greer looks out the window, we don't see what he's seeing, but he sees something that gives him this really chilling smile on his face. I wonder if he's looking on Wall Street and just thinking, <laughs> you'll know I me think in a few is. minutes. Mm-hmm. I think he is. And, and you know, you have to think, and, and this is really interesting to me, Doug, because up up to this point, while we recognize that even though this show seems to match nonfiction, real world stuff, you know, more times than seems realistic. um, If we got to a point here where the economic structure of the U S is falls and computers take over the world and it turns into this one world government or, or economy, then I think we're we're taking a, a pretty big departure from reality at that point. That's not to say that the world economy isn't intertwined. Of course mm-hmm. it is. But but if we see where Wall Street collapses and the U.S. economy collapses, and so we get this borderless society that Greer has been aiming for since the seventies, then that's what I mean. That we're now we're taking a, a pretty 
broad departure from um, current and hopefully foreseeable yeah, really. <laughs> world events. Sell. Well, the, and the other thing too is just in the same uh, day that this, the Cuba thing came uh, came about. It was the same day that uh, North Korea hacked into, well, they had hacked into it earlier, but with all the data dump mm-hmm. and uh, the threats uh, against Sony pictures, for example, Sony decided, yeah, this, uh, this movie where we, you know, make fun of Kim Jong-un and have him assassinated and whatnot, we're not going to, you know, uh, we're not going to show that movie and it's not going to be released. And so, you know, kind of a cyber war going on there. This is in, in a little different than the way uh, the Greer is doing it, but a cyber war nonetheless. That uh, we really uh, we really are into uh, the 21st century and this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Hmm. Maybe I should have bumped it up to a nine. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Doug, anything else before we get into some surveillance in the news? I think we're set. All right. Well, in that case, I'll sip some coffee and let you wax on about. Surveillance in the news. I'm going to wax on and wax off. Thank you. All righty. From Twitter, this is from Andrew. He has uh, contributed here before. You'll hear some of his feedback later on. And he Now, we talked about last episode, if you recall, you know, three weeks ago or so, mm-hmm. that, that uh, Finch was down in his car. And he says, I'm using the Wi-Fi network as a passive radar. And I can tell you where all the people are. And it's like, right, okay, yeah. Okay, that just seems a little much. Well, Andrew pointed me at a um, an article on extremetech.com and the headline is using Wi-Fi to see through walls. Now, this is an article from 2012, so this is not brand new kind of stuff. It's well, okay, 2 years old, but still it's been around for a little while. That's ancient in the tech world, right? It's 20 years in internet <laughs> years. <laughs> So it goes this way. British engineers from University College London have developed a passive radar system that can see through walls using the Wi-Fi signals generated by wireless routers and access points. The system, devised by a couple of fellows here, requires two antenna and a signal processing unit, that is a computer, and is no larger than a suitcase. Unlike normal radar, which emits radio waves and then measures any reflected signals, the new system operates in complete stealth. And the idea here is, is instead of generating the signal and catching the bounce back, you are having something else generate the signal. And you catch the bounce back. So when you're using Wi-Fi, it says you're constantly being bombarded by 2.4 and 5 gigahertz radio waves. Mm -hmm. When these radio waves hit a moving object, their frequency is altered by the Doppler effect. Mm -hmm. or That is the Doppler effect. And though, so by carefully sniffing those signals, they're able to reconstruct any image, any objects or humans that are moving on the other side of a wall. Now, this is the other side of a wall, not from the street into an apartment complex, but, you know, so it's, it's still gotcha. a stretch, but it's still, you know, something that's, um, it, it's based on something that really does exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, in testing, this passive radar system is able to detect a person's location, speed, and direction through a foot thick brick wall. Okay. So one foot. Uh, one problem with Doppler based systems is that they can only work with moving objects. If they stand still, you can't see them. Uh, with further work, though, the UCL engineers think they can increase the sensitivity of the system so that it can detect the movement of your rib cage as you breathe. So there's something moving. Oh, oh yeah. wow. So it's not, you know, from the ground to the top floor of, you know, some brick building, but 
it's not inconceivable. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you keep using that word. I do not think you know what I mean. <laughs> that is interesting. This is like they used to do. This is the type of stuff they did on Fringe, yes. where it was just something like this. All right, now what does that look like in fifty years? That's what we're going to play on on the show, and so that's pretty cool stuff. But I was I was absolutely stunned when uh, you know Andrew tweeted that uh, to us, and it's like, oh, really? Mm. Really? That is that 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 exists. It's a thing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just loved I loved it because it was perfectly uh, timed for you know the issues uh, that we were bringing up in the in the episode last week. Definitely cool, cool. Thank you, Andrew. That's awesome. All right, well, let's move into some feedback about this week's episode. Uh, I'll get it kicked off with our first feedbacker, Dotch, and, or Doc H. Take your pick. Whatever. I, pref- I prefer Dotch. Uh, he says, this episode started out relatively status quo for any opening 20 minutes of POI, considering the complicated season. There were a few comedic bits, ordering the sandwich in Chinatown, and then doting the dialogue with Root fostering Shaw's best interest and Shaw going to town on her meal. The segment with Finch gaining access through the vending machine was priceless. Not exactly the fire pole to the bat cave, but good enough. Slipping into the catacombs with the sandwich told me that area is one under-monitored zone, a Samaritan blind spot that seemed more like the Get Smart opening and closing gag during the credits. The scene with Root and the 10-year-old was the creepiest, until I rewatched it. At first, I thought there was some personal dialogue between the two, but then it struck me. That entire chat was the two machines talking from the second Root walked in. Plus, the AI gods echoed the Elias and Dominic chat. Greer's backstory satisfies a lot of the lost type. So many questions, never any answers. The dilemma all of us are so fickle about. My concern about Greer lore so late in the game is that either, number one, we are about to endure a whole bunch of Greer flashbacks between now and the series or season finale, or number two, Greer is about to disappear forever at the end of this trilogy. Look at what they gave us. Young, fresh AI, Nazis willing to do whatever Samaritan and the 10-year-old Wonderkind tells them to do. I can see Greer getting the boot once he shows any sign of weakness while implementing his uber-fascist manifesto. His upcoming flashback scenes will eventually explain his Achilles heel in life. If I can jump in here, that Mm -hmm. I think is, you know, we are seeing uh, a little bit of how little Samaritan thinks of people. And so it's, you know, the natural question is, well, what does it think of its own people? And we've Mm. seen where it can recruit new people with you know we did with that very at the very beginning here where we had the little puzzle that you go all around town to to solve so maybe you know these folks are more expendable than they think i do like the idea that perhaps greer's achilles hill would ultimately also be the uh, samaritan's achilles hill uh, Doc goes on to say, I remember feeling menaced at least half a dozen times during this episode that Reese, Root, and Shaw were at max risk of capture during their exploits, a carefully crafted ambush by the baddies. But Finchy, not so much. He got that quick detail to save the one guy whose building blew up. We never saw any of that, and I think that was a writer's trick to getting us thinking of Finch as just one of the guys. He isn't. 
Ultimately, Finch is the machine. Of the five operatives, Samaritan bagging Harold would really crush Team Machine, probably permanently. And we know how Greer is obsessed with Finch after having slipped from his grip more than once. So here's my crackpot tongue-in-cheek theory of the moment. Beat the machine. Oh, I love it. I love it. (laughs) Everyone on Team Machine will be running missions around the chaotic city, except Finch. He falls back to the lair to organize, think, and analyze. And that's when Samaritan finds him. Samaritan finds an anomaly in vending machine operator revenue reporting and calculates that no vending machines in New York City and in a camera blind spot could remain unvandalized for so long after so much coinage had been placed in it, all the time failing to dispense one single snack from E06 or whatever it was. The button that generates the most revenue, Shazam. Martine bags her quail slash wren. That is a great analysis. Ah, I, I was wow. When I read that first, I was blown away. That's the type of thing that I could see them, you know, writing in. Yeah, the machine. It seems like even though it's far fetched in terms of hey, there is no camera there. Uh, the that vending machine isn't connected to any type of network. I could still see them coming up with some way where, where yeah, the machine had sussed all that out and come found the uh, the uh, the entrance to the Batcave, if you will. Doc, you have a future in POI writing. Writing, yeah, yep, yep. Good stuff. Alrighty, well, we got a feedback from Karen, who is my co-host for Under the Dome that we do for Golden Spiral Media when that is on during the summer. So see, she says, hi guys, hope I can join you if you do a live broadcast this week. Oh, I guess she could make it. But I thought I'd send him some thoughts as well. The Greer flashback was intense. I loved how they used the noir-like camera work to make it seem grittier than the rest of the episode, yet kept it in the same universe. Something hit me during his whole backstory, though. Does this mean he's just a future Shaw-John-type character? One that's turned to the dark side, thus proving my theory that he's the love child of John Hurt and Emperor Palpatine. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how that's physically possible, but that's hilarious. (laughs) And I'm wondering if the John Hurt, the the version of John Hurt is the war doctor from Doctor Who. That's that's what I would assume. Yeah, who knows? However, I wonder why he still uses the name Greer. That's a good point. I know he burned his file, but did he somehow manage to erase all traces of that person? Am I just overthinking? I'm too nitpicky. That kid was scary good. Scary being the operative word. It was surreal seeing a conversation between the machine and Samaritan, even if it was through surrogates. Actually, especially through surrogates. Can't help wondering if it'll happen again, but if it does, I I sense a much darker tone. I feel like Shaw's promise to bear is a very bad sign. This is about the time all hell breaks loose, and it's truly looking like we're perched right smack dab on the brink. Indeed. Hugs, kisses, and toodles. So, thank you, Karen. Appreciate it that much. All right. Uh, we got one in from Andrew. Andrew says, I give the Cold War 10 secret entrances, and I have a feeling that I'll be using that number again in another three weeks. When the bear suit scene was released as a sneak peek. (laughs) That was classic. That was great. Uh, He says, I thought it would stand as a contrast to the rest of the episode, and did it ever. 
<laughs> this has to be one of the most gripping and thought-provoking episodes of the series thus far. The tension hardly let up once it set in. The team being pulled in several directions at once was frightening, though as exciting as an action sequence. Root's time-entertaining kids was turned on its head with the AI meeting. It was a little surreal to watch as the conversation between both two humans and two machines. In fact, there were times I think Root was speaking for herself as well as for the machine. Gabriel's part was more straightforward, but appropriately eerie. Samaritan showing again its aptitude for picking out people it can coerce into serving it. And just as an aside, I don't think we learned his name on the episode proper, but that is that is the kid's name is Gabriel, according to the IMDb's. Back to uh, Andrew. In this case, it was someone who also represents Samaritan symbolically. Someone made a good point on Reddit that destroying the tablet production back in honor among thieves may have been the right move after all. Ah, oh, mm-hmm. very interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But for all Samaritan's talk and considerable capability, it has a problem similar to Dominic. Its agents are basically soldiers. It's been given objectives for governing humanity, and its agents seem to support that cause more than they support each other. In one of the final scenes, I thought Lambert looked a little anxious in his exchange with Greer. And Greer himself said that he doesn't know exactly what Samaritan's planning, despite being fully invested in it. Not forgetting the flashbacks, they were a well-done insight into Greer's MI6 days, and I think Emery's Cooper did a great job. If Greer actually says, we all die in the end, then the parallel is there. (laughs) That's when we'll know for sure. (laughs) Andrew also sent us another little quick... uh, uh, update a little quick feedback and he mentioned about do you know much about the cambridge five maybe you read uh john lacar's tinker taylor and i think stinker taylor soldier spy um loosely based on the real story well i looked it up because i didn't know about the cambridge five and from wikipedia the source of all true knowledge the cambridge five were a ring of spies recruited in part by soviet scout arnold deutsch in the united kingdom who passed information to the soviet union during world war ii and at least into the early 1950s the term Cambridge in the name Cambridge Five refers to the recru- recruitment of the group during their education at the University of Cambridge in the 1930s. So, yes, there we go. We have uh, uh, Soviet spies inside MI6. There you are. Mm, I like that. I wasn't aware of that either. It's such a uh, well-rounded audience. They've brought several good things to the show this week, so thank you all for that. We have one more feedback. This is an audio feedback, which I'm grateful for after having a couple of mouthfuls there. Some great mouthfuls, by the way, uh, by Andrew and Doc. Those are the ones I had to read. Let's listen to some audio. Here it is. Barb, take it away. Hi, Daryl and Doug. Wow, it has begun. What an epi. I'm giving this 10 Kevin Donegan's AI Evolution Revolutions. With the very first scene, I thought, oh my gosh, Samaritan is working to out our machine and our team, but then I realized it was worse than that. Samaritan wants to completely annihilate them and remove what it believes is is its last barrier to world domination. Here are a few of my observations. For me, the most fascinating part of the epi was the conversation between the machines. What I really liked was Samaritan's use of a child. During the Elias versus Dominic epis, we saw the old guy best the young guy. 
I know our machine said it couldn't win, but I'm wondering if we are seeing the same thing, old machine versus young machine, and if there is a chance that our machine can indeed win this battle. I'm hoping for a parallel here. Not counting on it, but hoping for it. Our machine believes our team will die for their cause. Now, while our, our machine may have learned a few moral compass lessons, it clearly hasn't learned about the survival instinct in humans. If we are on the verge of watching our machine go bye-bye, and I think we may be, I wonder if it will learn that lesson in time to save them. I still think that we're going to lose Shaw. Fusco asking about the good day versus the bad day. I think he's getting close to learning about the machine. Our team may have to tell him, though. And if his light bulb is going on, think about Elias. He's got to be figuring it all out. I wonder if at the end of this three-story arc, if Elias may step in to help our team survive, if our machine can't or won't do it. If this is the end of our machine, then I think we will watch our team work to at least contain Samaritan this season, with the demise of Samaritan not occurring until the series ends. It would be a shift away from the number of the week formula, but if our team tries to hack into Samaritan to find its weakness and try and stop it, it may find Samaritan targets and save them. We still haven't seen that woman that Harold quote-unquote befriended earlier this season, and I think that that will be their backdoor into Samaritan. And we still have Elias and Dominic. That could make an interesting new direction for the show. Thanks to both of you for your work on this podcast and wishing you a very blessed Christmas and a happy new year. That's it for, wait a minute, my computer's acting strange. Oh no, my stock portfolio. I need to go in. Oh no. <laughs> That's classic. There it is. Good stuff from Barb. Um, you know, I had forgotten about the lady with the, uh, the, the briefcase. Uh, I know I mentioned or alluded to that trip earlier in this episode, but honestly, I, I, I listened to Barb's feedback right before we went live and that piece of her feedback had not occurred to me. I didn't want to steal it from her. So I just kind of mentioned it there in passing cause it kind of came up, but I love the idea. I'd forgotten all about that character that he had, you know, stolen the laptop and, and then planted something in it and then got the laptop back. Um, so, we, yeah, we haven't heard the la- That was obviously a, uh, you know, something to, they planted one thing to be used later mm-hmm. on. So, uh, you know, they, they showed the gun. They got to use That's it. That's our Chekhov's back. gun. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good, Barb. I'm so glad you remembered that for sure. Now she also talked about maybe the machine becoming getting defeated. I can't imagine this show without the machine being around as part of the storyline. What about you, Doug? <laughs> no, I don't. I can't see one at all. Uh, I can't imagine unless they were to. I'd really do something, you know, outlandish and maybe turn Samaritan around and you know make it the replacement. Uh, but the machine is such a is such a main character. It's. It's like killing off Fincherese. That just mm-hmm. would not happen, you know. That's yeah. uh, that's the, they're the two the two main characters in Machine Make Three. So I don't think that that's really going to happen. All if they did that though, I would be really partially, you know, oh, that's too bad. I'd like that guy, but that would be really seriously um, uh, just just mind blowing. Yeah, it would. It would. It's hard for me to imagine the show without it, unless they show up. Um, like whatever season that was in Star Trek The Next Generation when Data got his emotion chip 
Maybe somebody will show up with something like that for Samaritan and suddenly change hmm? its dynamic. I don't know. I, I want to note here real quick that there are apparently two Andrews that listen to us. Two Andrews that leave feedback. And so the two Andrews that I mentioned before are actually two different people. Or it's one Andrew of, from the of, blue universe and Andrew from the red and universe. The red universe. One of the Andrews is in the chat room and he's like, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what Andrew just busted us on is we randomly make stuff up and assign it to a, a fictional listener so that it makes it sound like we have more listeners. No, that's not true. <laughs> that would be funny, though. <laughs> hmm, that gives me an idea. <laughs> so I'll start composing one now. I really liked what Daryl said last week. <laughs> we need real feedback quick. So if you have some, folks, please call 304-837-2278. That's uh, to leave some message on the phone. But you can also go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. And you can type stuff in, you can upload an audio file, or even better, well, not even better, just another way to do it, you can use the SpeakPipe widget. It'll click on the graphic there, and it'll turn on your computer audio, put your own microphone, kind of like Samaritan. I don't know, that may be a little weird. But you can just turn that right on and say what you want, and there you go. Uh, we are on Twitter, got some of our stuff from Twitter, so I am at Doug Payton, that's Doug Payton with an A, he is Mar Daryl, and we are POI Podcast GSM, that's how we tweet from uh, when we're doing things live, and also we check out that for any feedback from you folks. Uh, Facebook, if you're on Facebook, I don't know how many of you out there might be on Facebook, it's kind of a new thing, all the, all the cool kids are doing it, but if you are... You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash person of interest GSM or just search for person of interest podcast while you're there. And finally, finally, if you really want to be up on everything Golden Spiral Media is doing, uh, check us out on Facebook. Golden Spiral Media has its own Facebook page and we post everything there. Everything. Wow. That's a lot That's of a lot stuff. Of a lot of ways to connect with us and interact with us and be part of the community. One of us! One of us! <laughs> and we'll read your stuff. But if you have audio, then we can't mispronounce anything. That's right. It's great. It's great. That's right. All right. Well, Doug, when is the next episode of Person of Interest? <sighs> next year. January 6th. At least it's soon, but mm -hmm. it's in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And it is called, now for those of you who are computer programmers, we've got, you know, we had the Cold War, and that was basically the two teams, you know, fighting each other, putting guns at each other, and, you know, all the crime, you know, being proxy wars between the two machines. Well, now it sounds like we're getting more computer-ish, the computers going up against each other. Next week, our next episode, January 6th, is called If Then Else, and if you are anything... Uh, done anything with programming, computer programming, you know that that is a, uh, uh, a decision making point mm -hmm. in a, in the code. If this is true, then do this, else do that. And I have a feeling we're going to have some, uh, decisions to be made in that one. The week after is called, well, for those of you who have Windows machines, control, alt, delete. And I don't know what that is. My, my <laughs> Peter doesn't have that. <laughs> We may just be resetting things. Who knows what that means? Mm -hmm. uh, it could be very interesting. It's very, uh, that could be a very revealing um, 
of title. But for if then else, Samaritan launches a cyber attack on the stock exchange, which we kind of assumed, mm-hmm. given the last uh, few minutes of the episode this time, leaving the team with no choice but to embark on a possible suicide mission in a desperate attempt to stop a global economic catastrophe. Yikes. No surprises there. That's what we saw set up. And this is a trilogy, so it makes perfect yes, sense. But a suicide mission. My mm-hmm. goodness. Well, I think they think that if that, that if they go out, they're exposing themselves and it's certain death. I, that's, that's the way I take that. At It'll least with Shaw. Sorry. Yeah, I get, well, <laughs> oh, Root. Root could be Root. Mm-hmm. I'll be written by Denise Tay. She's written before. We've uh, seen some of her stuff, and it will be directed by Chris Fisher. Uh, All the usual people will be back as far as the cast. There is a guest cast. Chester Jones III will be playing Monty, and I wonder if there's a Let's Make a Deal tie-in to this. I don't know. Mm. Let me ask you, Doug, what was the first programming language that you learned? First programming language I learned was BASIC. Hey, same way here. back in the day. Oh, right. And That's yeah, amazing. that uh, if-then-else was something that I used quite a bit. It was like you'd have to type in 10 space, you know, go to the <laughs> line, line number, you know, 20 space, you know, whatever. Yeah. If this X equals 3, go to 20. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Just, oh, spaghetti code coming out of yeah. our ears. It was fun, though. I, enj- I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't I didn't Gave miss it. Gave you power. Yeah, it was it was super cool to do that stuff and then hit run and then watch stuff happen. I mean, it was it was very it would, fun. It would do what you told it to do. That's right. All right. Well, speaking of if then else, if that is all, then let's get out of here. Else, what else do you have to say? <laughs> else, we can keep talking, but I think we're done. <laughs> I think we're done too. We are so grateful that you have tuned into this episode of Person of Interest podcast and. Uh, I think I might just have to go out and grab me a sandwich. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if your number comes up, we hope there's a man in a suit watching over you and your stock portfolio. Sell! Sell! (laughs) 